Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. I lived in Singapore for several years. My house was combination natural gas and electrical energy. Each bathroom and the kitchen had a double light switch panel. One switch was for the lights and the other switch gave you instant hot water from the tap hot water knob. There was no hot water tank, so I'm sure it was some form of tankless hot water heater. However, it seemed as though each room had its own electrically controlled heat exchanger built into the wall outlet. There was also a rotary dial on each switch panel to adjust the hot water temperature from scalding hot to a gentle warm. You didn't have to wait more than a few seconds to get hot water from any tap or shower head in the house. And you could turn off the heat energy source directly from each light switch panel. I'm not sure if the heat exchanger was gas or electric. What is the system called and is it available in the U.S.? Well, I can't, uh, several companies actually make these type of systems. So I'm not going to say there's any one that you need to go with. Uh, what they're doing, because I have seen this in Europe as well, what they're doing is they typically have, in most cases, one hot water heater. And what you're turning on with the switch is a recirculating system, which starts circulating water, hot water around to the house. Now, in some cases, that switch does turn on just one small tankless type water heater and you can adjust the temperature on that with the dial but typically most places are using just one tankless water heater that's circulating throughout the house and the dial does nothing more than turn it up and turn it down because they are adjustable especially if it's electrical the gas ones don't typically have that type of adjustment it's usually the electric ones that have that type of adjustments. I have one at my house, a, a tankless water heater, and I have it set for 120 degrees. I can go up and with just a touch of a button, I can make it higher or lower, or it does have the ability to be hooked up to my cell phone where I can do it from wherever I'm at. So yes, it's something that's readily available and easily installed if you want to put it in. Uh, it's just how much do you want to spend for it? I, I recommend to people all the time, though, to, to the recirculating systems because I don't like a, a recirculating system on all the time. But to have a switch that you can turn it on and off, that's very common and easily done. Sandra, welcome to WBAP. Oh, hi there. I was going to ask a question about moisture. The, I have a window that faces north, and it just sweats and runs and leaves puddles on the windowsill. And then we've talked around it in the past, and how do I get rid of that moisture? What's, I don't know what to do. Is it a double-pane window or a single? No, it's just a single pane. Yeah. What's happening is you've got the hot and cold air mixing on the inside, uh, and it, it just causes it to sweat. And, and that's basically what's happening. Uh, you could, if you had storm windows, it would eliminate that. If you did replacement windows... It would eliminate that. Uh, as far as something you could do on a temporary basis each year, they actually make 
plastic. Uh, oh, it's for weather. You know, making your house more energy efficient yeah. in the winter yeah. months. Uh, it, you put a strip around the window. This plastic goes on that strip. You heat it up. It shrinks so it doesn't show. It doesn't stick out like a sore thumb. And okay. that keeps the cold air from meeting the warm air inside. So it, it uh, helps slow down the sweating. I'm not going to say it's going to eliminate it. But in most yeah. cases, it does. Well... All righty, I'm gonna try to find some of that here pretty soon. Then normally you'll find it at the box stores or at uh, like Ace Hardware, you know, some of the the hardware stores and stuff. Right. But if you're gonna look for it, you need to start looking for it now because uh, they they typically only get one supply of it a year, and when those are gone, it's gone until the following year. Okay, and it just kind of shrinks, wraps itself on there, then. Yep. Okay. Well, good deal. Well, I appreciate that, Dan. Sandra, good luck with that. Uh Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Fred in Denison, how are you today? I'm good, Jim. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Got a two-parter for you. Okay. Okay. How do I get rid of the green stuff that started growing on the north side of the house? And the house has got white shingles on it, and it's got black spots marked stuff all over the roof. How do I get rid of that? Okay. Let's start with the siding first. What is the siding? Uh, The composition, concrete, lap siding stuff. Okay. So it's uh, like a hardy siding or something? Yeah, Yeah. the hardy hardy siding. That's pretty easy then to deal with. Uh, You can use just a pressure washer and do a light pressure washing on it. Yeah. And that'll clean it off. Uh, typically if I'm going to do that and there's green on it, I'm going to mix something in it, like, uh, maybe a little bleach or something just to help kill it, but not too much. Uh, just, a, just a little bit. Uh, and if it's a difficult area, I use a broom to wash the, the wall oh, okay. uh, and then rinse it off again with the pressure washer. Uh, they do make products like wet and forget, spray and forget, things like that. Right. That's an enzyme-based product. That can be sprayed on the wall, and it will take care of uh, that type of issue as well. Okay. Now, on the roof, that's a little bit different story uh, because typically what causes the issue on the roof, and it, it does on the siding some as well, is basically it gets dirt on it, you know, from... it's like pollution and dust and things like that. And then the water gets on the roof and it allows things to grow. Uh, The black normally doesn't sink deep down into the stuff. In fact, usually if you've got lead covers on your pipes, or uh, boots rather on the pipes that stick up the vent pipes, you're going to notice that it stays clean below those. Uh, There are products you can put on the roof that will help it, look better. One of them is a product I've looked at before called Roof Guard. Okay. Uh, not only does it clean the roof, but it puts a seal on so like the gravel uh, doesn't get loose and start coming off and things like that. So it, it helps the roof to last longer. That sounds uh, good. Yeah. It's, it's a very interesting product. You can go to roofguard.com or you can call them at 866 818 3718. Okay. Sounds like a solution in the process, my friend. 
All it takes is a little elbow grease. Ah, I got a little elbow grease. <laughs> Thank you, right. Jim. Have a great Fred, day. you take care. Bye-bye. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Let's uh, head over into Houston. And Keith, welcome. Hey, hey, appreciate you taking the call. You bet. Hey, I'm, I'm getting ready to start a new build up in Magnolia, and I was wondering, what's the pros and cons of uh, hiring a, your own inspector to keep eye on it? There is no cons to that. It, it's all pros. Because it never hurts to have another set of eyes on the project. Uh, you know, the, because what what city inspectors are coming out and looking for is to make sure that you meet minimum building codes. Well, that's not always the only thing that needs to be inspected. You know, a lot of times you're looking for the quality of work and things like that as well. So, yeah, you can, you can hire an inspector. You can hire somebody like... Deaver's Engineering could come out and take and uh, do those inspections for you as well. All right, appreciate that. You bet. Good luck with the new house. Thanks, sir. Bye. Oh yeah. A- anytime you're going to be building, there is nothing wrong with getting more eyes on the project. Steve, how can I help you? Hi there. I uh, wanted to ask a few questions. We want to put granite in our uh, house, and I just wanted to find out what you what you knew about that. You know what to look out for. Uh, we also are thinking about putting a farm sink in. Okay. I don't know if that, that takes some extra consideration. And I know that some granite places will quote two or three centimeter thickness. Yes, uh, you want so the I wanted thicker. to get your opinion on that and then maybe an idea of who to use in the Conroe area. Okay. As far as the thickness, make sure you go with the thicker one because the thinner ones, they crack too easily. Uh, okay. The... The uh, is and the sink, yes, it it requires a little beefing up, but no big deal. I mean, the the countertop guys and cabinet guys, they all know what to do with that. So I'm not worried about that at all. As far as what you want to look for in the countertop, do you use your kitchen a lot? Uh, yes. Okay. The reason I ask that, granite countertops are porous. Uh. Bacterias will soak into them, like from bloody meat and things like that. And so because of that, if you use your kitchen a lot, you have to have it sealed once a year. And what that sealer okay. does is it soaks in and just keeps the the countertop from soaking in materials that will grow a lot of bacterias. That's one of the reasons I like, I love the looks of granite countertops and materials like that. But Typically on people who are going to use their kitchen a lot, I like the man-made materials because you don't have that same problem. And it's not that it can't be dealt with on the granite countertops because it truly can. You just have to make sure that you do the process once a year. And it's very simple. It's basically you clean it up, you wipe this material on it that soaks into it, and you're done. Okay. And as far as the man-made countertops, what do you suggest there? Oh, take a look at like silestone. Uh, that that's that's the big one on it, and a lot of everything else is copycats of that. Okay, I'll give it a shot. Appreciate your help. You bet. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, granite countertops—they are gorgeous, and you know, it used to be I'd say I, I didn't want it in my house. My kids are all gone. My wife and I—we still cook all the time, but 
we're going to take better care of it than when we had all the kids at home, so we're seriously considering granite countertops as well. My wife and I recently bought a 1983 built slab home. Had the interior completely repainted, windows changed or repaired, and beautiful bamboo flooring put almost everywhere in the 2300 square foot home. Imagine our surprise to see the brand new planks of bamboo start to cut. We called our contractor who called the manufacturer. The manufacturer sent an inspector who said that we had a humidity problem. So it was our problem, not the manufacturer. We need contact information of an expert who can advise how to deal with too much humidity. What kind of floor would allow for the excess humidity to exist to exit the foundation and leave the flooring intact. We do not want to put down carpet. We are considering tile that looks like wood. Your help is much appreciated. All right, Ray. Well, you know, that's an age-old problem. And I'm betting that you have a glue-down floor. And when you glue down these wood floors onto concrete slabs, especially on really wet years like we're having this year, this is something that happens far too often. So what can you do about it? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is when he says there's too much humidity, is he checking the foundation for humidity or just the air? Because if it's humidity in the air, that can be dealt with with a dehumidifier. And quite frankly, if that takes care of it, sometimes you can actually get a lot of that warp back out of the floors. So that's going to be the first thing. Uh, there are engineers who specialize in wood floor and you would have to wood there's only five of them in the state who are certified wood floor experts you can google them as uh, certified wood floor experts and there is a list that will come up and you can choose the one that's closest to you if you'd like to come out and take a look at it if it is moisture coming up through the slab with all the rain we've been having, our soils are so saturated, there is moisture coming up through the slabs, you may have to deal with a drainage issue. And that would solve your problem. As far as what type of floors you could put down, if none of these issues would solve the problem, uh, the, if you go to Floor and Decor, they actually carry like four different brands of floors that look exactly like wood, but they're not, and they will work in wet areas like bathrooms and, and things like that. In fact, I had some two different ones out in my, the back of my truck for about six months, and then I left them outside, and I looked at them after a year, and they still looked great. So I would tell you, go into a floor and decor and talk with them about the different brands that are available that look like wood and still would be a floating floor because the advantage of the floating floor you're still able to put down a vapor barrier that keeps the moisture from coming through and, uh, you know, still can change it out easily. I personally, though, you also mentioned the tile that looks like wood. Those things are gorgeous when they're put in properly. You cannot tell that it's tile. Now, the downside on those, and this is a minor downside in my opinion, but it is tile. It is cold in the winter months. That's the only big downside. Even wood floors are chilly in the winter months. But let's face it, tile is colder in the winter months. Uh, so, But those things really do look gorgeous. They hold up great. 
so that is an option but the first thing you have to do though is is find out is it a humidity issue in the house or is it hum moisture coming up through the slab that's going to be a, a big deal uh, can make a huge difference because if it's humidity in the house that's an AC issue you have the AC contractor come out check to make sure that the system's working properly and you know make the adjustments that are needed if it's not uh, realistically you know if you got humidity in the house that's bouncing you know 60 plus you're getting into too high humidity levels that's going to be an AC issue so this is why I prefer people call in because I can get a little more information from you when we talk that way so uh, but I hope that helps you out with that question let's head uh, to Copperfield and Victor how can I help you good afternoon sir uh, on my concrete on the outside the driveway I know you're supposed to replace it with the like the cedar uh, plankings on, on on the I guess you call it the cracks right there oh the expansion joints that, yes sir and I know they make that product over ace uh, some like a hard plastic but is there uh, a product like a five gallon bucket type where you can pour and let it harden well yeah you do have several choices i personally would not go back with wood again uh that the wood is great when you're pouring the concrete but if you got to go back for replacement uh that first product you were talking about is called trim a slab it comes in a roll and you know sets down into it they do also make a product that comes in caulking tubes that you can yeah. fill that gap with. And typically, if I'm doing a driveway, I'm going to get the, the large tubes. You know, they make the regular caulking tubes like we use for caulking windows and stuff. But it wow. also comes in a larger caulking tube for doing big things like this. Um, and... Oh, at the big stores? or You're not going to find it at the box stores. You're going to find it at places like uh, United Rentals would yes, have it uh, in, in their commercial department area. Um, HD Supply, White Cap HD Supply, that's the same store. They would have it. Uh, places like that uh, where contractors go to. Yes, sir. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much for your help. And, and Victor, I'm going to tell you that you're going down. If you're going to use the caulking tube type stuff, yes, sir. What you don't need to pull all that wood out. If you can scrape it down to where you got about an inch on the top, that's really all you need, and then you can fill it. You, the reason the reason you don't want to fill it all the way down, if you have any gaps when you go down, that stuff is liquid ah. enough; it'll flow down and fill areas you don't need filled. And well, you're, so you're just holes, wasting material. On deep holes, can I fill it with sand? Yes. And, fill it with sand, or I, a lot of times, will use what's called yoke. It's it's just a rope-like material that you pack in there, and yeah. uh, then, then you go over the top of it. Thank you very much. You bet, Victor. Take care. Greg, this is Jim. How can I help you? Okay. Uh, I had a new roof put on my house. And with all this rain that came out, the contractor has come out to check it out because it keeps leaking around the roof, around the chimney. Okay. Now, after him coming out three or four times and putting a cricket up behind the chimney, he finally came to the conclusion. He said, it's the brick on the chimney that the water's coming through. Can be. Okay. If that's the case, what's the best way to solve that problem? 
Well, let me ask you a quick couple quick questions. Your your box in your fireplace is it metal or masonry? It's a uh, it's a uh, 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 metal. Okay. And the reason I'm asking that, it, and on, on the outside, is it brick all the way up? Yes, yeah, brick all the way up. Okay. So the water that you're getting is coming in and coming on the outside of that metal firebox, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. When I go up in the attic, it's it's um uh, uh now, now now this chimney is not I, I guess a real fireplace where it right. runs all the way from the foundation all the way up. It's kind of like the chimney's a, a false chimney up there. It just it's brick, but doesn't connect all the way down. Okay. And so where are you seeing the water coming in at then? Um. Around the, the the back side where the uh, where the chimney is flowing, the steepest part of it. So that's why you yeah. put a cricket up behind there. Yeah. Okay. To answer your question, yes, it is very possible that it's coming through the brick. You know, we have to remember the reason houses have weak holes. Brick is porous. Moisture goes through it. It runs down the back side of the brick and comes out the weak holes when it's raining reason we never see water coming out is the only time it happens is when it's raining. So if it is indeed the brick on the fireplace that's doing this, and it very well can be, I had to do this to mine, you simply have to spray a masonry sealer on it. Okay. It's clear in color. It soaks down into the material, and it just keeps moisture from passing through the brick on in, in to the inside and running down. You can, okay. You can get it at a lot of different places. Um, I would not go to the box stores because they're not going to have a good long-term masonry sealer because that's not something that they deal with a lot. Go to a regular industrial store. Uh, HD Supply or White Cap HD Supply, that's the same stores they've merged together. Uh, they carry a very good one. Okay, and that's HD what now? HD supply okay okay and you and to, to apply it, it you just you can spray it on or brush it on however you want to put it on i typically just put it into a pump up sprayer like a, a bug type sprayer mm-hmm. spray it on the brick it soaks in you never see it just make sure that you've cleaned the brick first and that it's dry when you do it so that it soaks it in good I'm going to give that a try. Okay. Good luck with that, Greg. Again, 214-787-1080. That's 214-787-1080. And this is not an uncommon problem. The reason I was asking all those questions as far as the brick and the type of fireplace, if you have an all-real masonry fireplace, on the very top, it typically will have a mortar top on it. And when a house is originally built, they typically put, just a, if they put anything, a screen over the flue itself where the, where the chimney comes out. And around it is the top of the fireplace. Well, they don't just leave the brick up there. It has mortar over the top. Over time, that mortar tends to crack and start to shrink and comes loose. So you can get leakage up there. To solve that, you simply have a new top made that covers the chimney flue and the whole top of the fireplace at once. 
that keeps water from soaking down in from the top all the way down. But you still put the sealer on the brick itself. The reason I was saying make sure you clean it first, I was out at a house uh, two weeks ago that they were trying to figure out where the water was coming in. He had gutters that were backfalling, hitting the fireplace, and the moisture was coming in through the fireplace, soaking down through the brick into a pantry. And I found where the moisture was coming in inside the pantry. They hadn't been able to find it before. Uh, why, I wasn't sure, because it was pretty obvious when you looked at it. But that he had at one point, it looked like ivy and stuff had maybe grown onto the brick. That will open up fissures into the brick that allow moisture in. So you want to clean all the ivy stuff off if you have any. If you have mold that's been growing on it, that needs to be cleaned off. All of this needs to be cleaned up prior to you putting on a masonry sealer. And again, make sure the brick is dry because the whole purpose of that masonry sealer is to soak into the brick and seal it up. And it does last a long time. I did mine 16 years ago. Uh, I haven't redone it since. I'm thinking I probably should, but honestly, I haven't had a reason to. I haven't seen any moisture coming in uh, that would tell me, hey, you got a leak. But, you know, uh, just a precautionary thing. It's so easy to do. I'm thinking I'm going to probably go ahead and do that before long. Neil, welcome to KRLD. How can I help you? Yes, sir. I'm a contractor, and I install radiant barrier in people's attics. And I only install the foil, so I'm stapling it to the rafters. Well, it works great in my home. But the problem with my house is over two-thirds of my attic has vaulted ceilings, so I can't put radiant barrier in there. Right. So here's what I was going to do. I'm about to get a new roof put on. And I was going to... I'm going to throw you something out there. I'm going to think about rolling radiant barrier on top of the shingles as they are right now, nailing one by two uh, slats in long grooves to make an air gap and put another piece of decking down as if I were putting new um, decking on to put a new roof on, and then I was going to shingle that. At the very top of that, I'm going to put ridge vent so the air can escape out, and that would give me that air gap for radiant barrier to work. Okay. Do you see any reasons why that would be an issue? No, that will work. You don't have to go through all that hassle, but that will work. Now, the question I have for you is, are you not stripping off the shingles? No. If you're going, well, to, if you're going to do what you're talking about? Right. I would highly recommend you strip the shingles off that area at the very least. Okay. And, and the reason for that, what happens with the shingles as they age? You know, they start curling up. Okay. They start curling up in that space that you're trying to create. They will start blocking airflow. Okay. No, that's an that's excellent idea. I never thought of that. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't the like only... the extra weight of two layers of shingles either, but the, the bigger thing for what you're talking about is the airflow. Now, the other thing I will tell you, though, they do make radiant barriers that can be sandwiched underneath shingles now. I, I know, but here's the problem with that. If well, you'll look into... Gap, but yes. Right, exactly. And I'm, I'm really good at what I do, but I can't put radiant barrier where I can't get. 
you know. And so since my living room, three-quarters of the ceiling is vaulted, I do have issues with trying to cool that part of the house because oh, yeah. I can't cool the attic. And so, But again, um, but again now, not all radiant barriers not require air gaps anymore. Okay. I have I have a radiant barrier in my house that is a multi-layer system, has a thermal break in it, does not require air gaps. It can be sandwiched in between materials. And it, it I've got it on several places. It it works wonderfully. So what does it do to the temperature in the attic using that versus obviously you know what I install? Yeah. It it does the exact same thing. The only difference is what what you typically installed with the single layer system, it requires a dead airspace in order to work properly. This does not require a dead airspace, but it's still blocking 95% of the heat transfer, just like what you're installing. The way they, they uh, keep from having to have the dead airspace is they put a thermal break in it, and that thermal break keeps the temperature from just traveling through. Okay, so what is is a thermal break, some kind of a mesh between the two foils? Correct. It just seems like the heat would would would, would finally get through there. I mean, it's just it just time and heat seems like it it gets to where it wants to go. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but it, I mean, just, if you if you think about it that way, then the single layer would do the same thing because as you as your single layer is blocking it. The single layer is gonna would heat up the same way and allow it to travel through also. Yeah, but I've got a six inch air gap. So what? I, I'm moving air. I'm putting electric fans in the attic, and I'm ton of soffits. Uh, I'm moving. See, but now you're talking two different things. You're talking ventilation versus a radiant barrier, and and they're two different animals. I'm not. But they work together. Well, they can work together, but they don't have to work together. Gotcha. Ventilation can work independent of radiant barriers, and radiant barriers can work independent of ventilation. Working together is absolutely the best way to go, and that's the reason I didn't disagree with you on the slots you were talking about. Right, right. If you build a house, for instance, and you do skin venting on the outside of it, along with a radiant barrier all the way around of it, oh my gosh, you will have the most energy-efficient house you can build. Because the whole right. thing is like it's in a shade tree all the time. Works wonderfully. And exactly. That, and, and that's what you're talking about doing with your roof, and I got zero problems with that at all. Okay. So if I were to do this, all right, so let's say I do it my way, but I'm going to take your suggestion. Sure. I'm going to rip off that top layer of shingles. Then I'll roll out my radiant barrier. Yep. I'll put the slats on there. Now, would you run the slats horizontal or vertical? I I personally would run the slats coming down so that the air can move up freely. Yes, that's what I was that's that's what I was going to do. Now, right. I'm going to change then one what? thing that you were saying though, because if you're going to use a single layer type radiant barrier, and you want the dead airspace, you need to put your slats down first and put the radiant barrier over the slats because your dead airspace should be on the bottom side of the barrier. The glass. The dead no the dead airspace. Allow allow your air to, to scoot up under the radiant barrier instead of over the top of it. Really? Radi a, gonna... a single ply radiant barrier isn't supposed to be touching anything on the bottom side. It can on the top well, side, but not the bottom side. 
Right. I was using double-sided perforated. Oh, okay. That's fine. That's fine then. Yeah. All right. Okay. I, you're you're on. You're definitely on the right track to to take care of the heat in that room and make it a lot more energy efficient for you. Oh, I think I lost. I think I lost Neil there. But yes, radiant barriers can make a huge difference on your energy consumption. Uh, so it's just a matter of you got to use the right radiant barrier in the right circumstance. They make a ton of different types of radiant barriers. And so just make sure you get the right one for the right application. And he said the key thing there, he's using a multi-layer system. That's the reason he can lay it on the deck and have the airflow go over the top. So he's going to have the best of both worlds. He's going to have the proper ventilation along with the radiant barrier. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.